In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, our Bible study tonight, uh, Reflections on Psalm 6. Psalm 6. And this psalm we prayed in uh, the first hour of the Ikbiyah, and also we prayed in uh, the first hour of uh, first watch, sorry, first watch of the midnight prayer. Psalm 6 is known as the first of seven penitential psalms, psalms of repentance. There are seven psalms for repentance. Now, the most common one is Psalm 50 or 51. But just for your knowledge, there are seven psalms of repentance. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm, uh, Psalm 143. Uh, these are psalms of confession and humility before God. These psalms are especially suitable to express repentance. And who collected these six psalms is St. Augustine. St. Augustine, he is the one who said these six psalms are psalms of repentance. The title of this psalm, Psalm 6, to the chief musician with stringed instrument on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. So, this title tells us that the recipient of the psalm is the chief musician. Some church fathers said the chief musician is our Lord Jesus Christ. Others said uh, David is directing these psalms to the leader of the choirs like Asaph or like Heman. When it says uh, on an eight-stringed harp, we saw in, in, in the previous Psalms uh, either said stringed harp or on flute. Uh, but here, not only for a stringed instrument, but specifically for eight-stringed harp, harp that has eight strings. So, he instructed the chief musician to accompany the psalm with an eight-stringed instrument. That's why in the Latin version it says, to the end, and this psalm should be chanted to the end of ages. In the hymn of the eighth, in the hymn of the eighth means uh, these psalms should be uh, chanted on eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. This psalm is used both in Jewish and Christian liturgies, as it was recited daily in the synagogue and also in the ancient Latin church. It is a prayer of faith in time of distress. It is a prayer of faith in time of distress. Also, it is prayed every morning, as I said, in the Agbeya, in the first hour. Some scholars found that these seven psalms of repentance 
correspond to the seven sins of David. As if David composed a psalm for each sin. What are the seven sins? Number one, pride or vanity. When he called for general numbering of Israel. Number two, the sin of adultery with the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Number three, the deceit when he called Uriah from the army to hide his sin. Number four, covering his sin by demanding Uriah to sleep with his wife to cover his sin. Number five, by killing Uriah. Number six, tolerance and extreme leniency with his son Amnon, who did evil with his sister. He did not discipline him. And number seven, the deafness of heart. As David was unwilling to confess his sin, he was blind to his sin until God sent Nathan, the prophet, to rebuke him almost after two years. So David lived two years without repentance or without realizing that he did something wrong. This psalm is only 10 verses, and we can actually divide it into four sections. First, from verse 1 to 3, the agonized plea to God for mercy. 4 and 5, the urgency of David's plea. Number six and seven, the intense description of David's agony. And as usual, from eight to ten, his prayer is heard and he's grateful to God. So let's read from verse one. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. So it's okay to rebuke me, but not in your anger. Not chasing me in your hot displeasure. Yes, I know I deserve to be disciplined, but don't chasten me in your hot displeasure. So the psalmist bleeds for mercy, and he is pointing to the severity of God's visitation. When God is disappointed to somebody when we break his commandment. So According to David, God visited him in his anger. God is angry with David. And in his hot displeasure. So David is pleading with God that he would not rebuke him and chasten him with his anger and with his hot displeasure. David is conscious of his grievous sin after Nathan rebuked him. And David knows that he deserves rebuke and chastisement. And he does not ask to be spared his discipline or his chastisement. He is willingly to be chastened and chastised, but he is pleading with God to do it with love, not in anger. As we read in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 24, O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. If you corrected me with your anger, I will vanish. So correct me, I deserve it, 
but with your love. There may be times when we are chastened by God's hand, when we really, when we suffer trouble brought upon ourselves. This time when God disciplines us, we really suffer trouble. We really are in pain. Nevertheless, there are certainly times when the Lord does not chasten his children. If God actually chastised us for every single sin, who can stand? Who can stand? So many times God does not chastise us or chasten us. But when he chastens us, it's a difficult time. And we know that God's chastening hand is not primarily a mark of his displeasure. As David assumed, David he said, don't chasten me in your hot displeasure. No, actually it is a sign of adoption that God perceives us as his children. If you are walking in the street and you found two boys uh, fighting with each other, and you don't know any of them. Are you going to chasten them? No. But if it is your son, you will discipline him. So discipline is a sign of adoption. As St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, chastening is evidence of our adoption. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? What son is there whom a father does not chasten? When God corrects us, it doesn't feel pleasant, definitely. During the time of discipline, it is not a good time. But we should understand it is for our good. That's why in verse 2, David said, have mercy on me. I don't want you, Europe, to, to deal with me with your justice. I want you to deal with me with your mercies. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Have mercy on me, I beseech you, not what I deserve. I know I deserve discipline. But I am pleading with you to have mercy upon me, your free mercy. You knew that, David knew that what he had done deserved the wrath of God, deserved the hot displeasure of God. But also, he knew that our God is a merciful God. That's why he is pleased unto the mercy of God and pleads for it. He did not say, God, have mercy on me because I'm righteous, because I, I killed Goliath, because I did this and I did that. No. He pleads no merits on his own. Nor he did not mention any of the former works of righteousness done by him, like killing Goliath. But he threw himself completely upon the mercies of God. I am not righteous. I am weak. So I am pleading for your mercy. 
have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. I am weak. The original word means to deteriorate or fade away as the plants or as fields in drought. But here, I am weak refers to a sick person whose strength is withered and gone. Uh, So the word is used here referring to the psalmist himself as if he is sick because the chastisement of the Lord brought on him physical and mental sorrows. So he became weak, weak even physically and also psychologically and mentally. He is asking God to deal gently with him for he is weak. He told him, I am weak, heal me. Heal me bodily, because God is the true physician of our bodies and souls. And also, heal my soul when you forgive me. Because sin is the disease of soul and spirit. And when God forgives me, then I am healed spiritually. And he told him also, my bones are troubled. You know, the bones are the strength and the framework of the body. So when he said, my bones are troubled, means the very source of his strength has gone. My bones are shaken. That's exactly the word in Hebrew. So his terror from the discipline of the Lord had become so great that his bones are shaking. These trials of body and soul were intensified by David's sins of God's anger against him. David perceived that God is very angry. And who can withstand the anger or the wrath of God? That's why bodily, spiritually, psychologically, even his bones were shaken. He was in great trouble by just perceiving the anger of God. And the same way, when we are not confident in God's love and assistance, even small trials feel unbearable. In verse 3 he said, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? How long? So, my body is weak, my bones are shaken, my soul is greatly troubled because of the burden of my sins and because the sins of God's anger. So, my whole being, everything in me is greatly troubled. The only way in order to be healed in body and soul is to take refuge in the mercy and grace of God. That's the only way to heal my body and my soul. Then David told him, O Lord, how long? How long will you leave me to suffer? How long my anguish shall continue? So, 
the question how long implies in his anxiety he perceived this as a very long time and he is constantly looking for God to intervene and help him and stop this St. John Chrysostom says God is our greatest hope his loving kindness beyond the telling and the fact is he is such one as to be ready to pardon God is ready to forgive us that phrase how long is the mark of someone exhibiting not resentment from God so when David said how long he's not saying that God is resenting me but how long explains his suffering and grief that he was unable to bear the burden of temptation and the burden of this trial so David as if saying God you, you left me for a very long time verse 4 after he said how long he said return O Lord deliver me return O Lord deliver me oh save me for your mercy's sake so God in David's perception seems to have forsaken David and gone far away God's absence is the main cause of his misery so when God returns that's why he told him return O Lord so in his return it will be just the returning of God will be enough to deliver him from his trouble nothing is so hard to endure as when you feel being deserted and uh, abandoned by God but St. Augustine said God never absent God is present everywhere but it is us who turn away from God that's why we lose him it's not God he is absent but we turn our back to God so return here should be directed to to ourselves we should return to God so in his agony David pleads for deliverance but again not on the basis of not on the basis of his righteousness but on the basis of God's mercy as he said save me for your mercy's sake not because I'm righteous not because I have good virtues no save me for your mercy's sake save my life save me from going down to the grave I'm about to die deliver me from these troubles and dangers the fact that David appealed to the mercy of God for deliverance was evident that he was aware that he did not deserve it so David is aware that he does not deserve the mercies of God but he is appealing to the mercies of God that God promised us to give it to us freely because he loves us and I want you to observe how frequently David 
uses the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me, return me, O Lord. In these four verses, he mentioned the word the Lord five times. Because David found full consolation in the name of the Lord. And until now, and until the end of the ages, the name of the Lord is full of consolation to people in trouble or in hardship. David told him, Return, O Lord, deliver me, save me for your mercy's sake, before I die. For in death there is no remembrance of you, in the grave who will give you thanks. So I'm asking you to save me before the end of my life comes. In death there is no remembrance of you, in the grave who will give you thanks. He knows also that now is the time for turning unto God. After we die, it is too late. Also David, according to St. John Chrysostom, is aware of the doctrine of resurrection. He knows people, after they die, they cannot remember God or repent. Uh, then God comes in his second coming and will judge the world and the wicked will go to eternal punishment. So after our departure from here, there is no time for repentance. God's pleasure is in the righteous person who praises him, not only by his tongue, but also by his life. I can, I can praise God by my tongue, but the question whether my life glorifies God or not. That's why the psalmist here asking God to grant him his divine grace before he dies during his life that he can glorify God during his life. Both St. John Chrysostom and St. Augustine said that the rich man in the story of rich man of Lazarus after he died he praised God and repented when he talked to, Abra- to Abraham. But it was too late. That's why it did not help him. Also the foolish virgins who wanted to get some oil, they wanted to correct their uh, mistakes, a form of repentance. But no one gave them any. It was too late. So he told him, save me before I die, for in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave who will give you thanks. Then he told him, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make, I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. So the discipline of the Lord was very heavy upon David. His life seemed to be nothing but tears and misery. Tears and misery. David, who faced to Goliath, this is strong man. David now melts into tear at the remembrance of his sin and under the fear of divine wrath. He was afraid that God would be angry with him. That's why he said, all night, 
I make my bed swim. He wept so much that his bed seemed to be immersed in tears. Of course, this is exaggerated language, but the expression here is strong and clear to deliver us the depth of his sorrow. Here it is. it says, all night I make my bed swim. But in other translation, it reads, every night, expressing that David persisted in his ceaseless weeping. He did not simply weep, but soaked his bed night after night by his tears. Repentance is considered second baptism. Repentance is second baptism. Verse 7, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. You know, in old age, our vision grows dim. So, as if this sins and the discipline of the Lord made the eyes of David from crying and weeping all night and every night, so made his eye lose the the vision like an old man who grew dim, his vision grew dim. And it's true that conviction sometimes had such an effect upon our physical body. Sin blinds a person. As St. John the Evangelist in 1 John 2, verse 11, spoke about how hatred leads to blindness. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I just told you, David, for two years did not recognize that he committed adultery and he killed for two years. He was totally blind. Then he says, it grows old, my eyes grows old because of all my enemies. Who are his enemies here? Uh, God's people, their enemies are the sin, Satan, and the world, temptation of the world. And these are very oppressive ones. And the word here signifies enemies. Some scholars said maybe David is referring here to Absalom uh, and those who were associated with him against David. But this psalm is a psalm of repentance and represent David's repentance. So as if he is saying, my eyes grew old because of my sins, because of Satan who is tempting me, because of the pleasures of the world that trapped me. Verse 8, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. So here David, now the tone changes. Now he is confident that God heard his prayer. And this confidence that God heard his prayer and answered his prayer as a gift from him 
filled the heart of, of David with a new strength. So, in answer to the prayer of penitent heart, the night sorrows become the morning salvation. So by night he was crying, but the, in the morning he felt the salvation of the Lord. David has found peace, and now he began to clean his house from the wicked people. This is part of our repentance. Once, once I repent and God hears my, my prayer, I need to stop associating with ungodly people. It may be that the sin that led David to this chastisement is his association with ungodly. Once he became a friend of the ungodly, it ended up by falling in adultery and murder. So, as a practical step, he is asking all the worker of iniquity to depart from him, because bad company corrupt good morals. Repentance is a practical thing. It's important to separate from ungodly association. So it's not enough to lament, to weep, to go to Abuna and confess with tears, and then I keep company with ungodly people around me. But we must cast out the buyers and sellers and overturn the tables of the money changers as the Lord did in the purification of the temple. David made his agonized cry to God, and God heard him. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. So God heard me. And David speaks from an inward conviction. He is so sure that God heard him. He knows that David prayed sincerely and fervently, and God will listen to a sincere and fervent prayer. That's why he is certain that his prayer is heard and accepted. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. It is not that God is impressed by emotional expression when we weep and cry. No. But it is a passionate heart impresses him when we pray with zeal, fervently, and with sincerity. It's not just this emotional expression, but the sincerity and the passionate heart. Then verse 9, he said, The Lord has heard my supplication, the Lord will receive my prayer, or accept my prayer. So he repeats the confident assertion of faith that God heard his prayer and with equal confidence adds the assurance that God will accept it favorably and will not reject it. Hearing the prayer is one thing and accepting the prayer another thing. God heard him when he told him, have mercy on me, save me. Acceptance means God will do it, will, will grant him his mercy, and he will save, save him and deliver him. As St. John, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 said, This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, 
whatever we ask, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. David knew that when God heard and answered his prayer, it will be also trouble to his enemies. Because God now on, on the side of David. So in verse 10 he said, Let all my enemies be ashamed. And we said the enemies are the sin, Satan, the pleasure of the world, and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So when God actually, if God is with us, who will be against us? When God hears our prayer, it will be trouble for our enemies. David now saw that his temporary agony and trouble gave way to a permanent agony and trouble for his enemies. His agony and trouble were temporary until he repented and God saved him. But with this salvation, it turned into a permanent agony and trouble for his enemies. So, David, with eyes of faith, sees the answer to his prayer. Then he said about the enemies, let them turn back. It can mean turn back from me, from pursuing me, or turn back to me, to reconcile with me and to be at peace with me. Of course, to me, he means the people here who are against him, not the sin, the world, and Satan. Also, let them turn back can mean let those who are ungodly, let them see their own guilt and repent of their sins, turn back from their ungodly way and repent. Let, that's my last verse. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Be ashamed suddenly. Suddenly means he has a desire that there will be no delay, but their defeat might be accomplished at once and suddenly. It was right to pray that this might occur. So it was also right to pray that it might occur without delay, as speedily as possible. The defeat of the enemies of God. So he is praying that they are defeated, the enemies of God, and defeated suddenly as soon as possible. The sooner the plans of sinner are confounded, the better. And many of the repentant psalms end in this way to instruct the believer to continually look forward, look forward for the mercies of God, and be comforted that there will be an end. Sin and sorrow shall be no more, will be end for Satan, for for sins, for sorrow, for grief, for uh, the pleasures of the world. And the sackcloth of the repentant shall be exchanged for a rope of glory. Rope of glory. This psalm, like those who preceded, show the different condition of godly and wicked. 
the wicked will perish, but the godly will be accepted by the Lord. This actually concludes uh, chapter uh, Psalm 6 from the book of Psalms. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.